Shalom, this is Rabbi Tama Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you a commentary on 3 John. Basically, the entire gospel of the kingdom, that is, God's future government and opportunities to serve with him, if we are counted as true believers according to his standards, were revealed. John also pointed out that we're not to entertain those who do not follow God's Torah, and we associate with them on a limited basis. We don't go to the parties they go to, uh, anything that would even give an impression that we're not living God's Torah, we must take great care uh, to identify and avoid. In other words, we've been assigned to live in the world, but uh, not become part of it. Today we're going to analyze this book of 3 John, and this book contains only 14 verses. But once again, it includes extremely important teachings that can be applied to our lives today. Unfortunately, these shorter books are often left by the wayside because they're not deemed important enough to explore. And I say again that God does not waste time or space in his Torah. Everything within the Bible is meant for our learning and growth as we progress toward the goal of salvation. Again, it is not a once done, instantaneous, all covered sins forever and ever. So let's get started. Third John was written in response to a struggle within the local assembly, not unlike those we see today. One of the assembly leaders, Diotrephes, had asserted control over the congregation to such an extent that he was prohibiting representatives of other assemblies from ministering to his congregation. Worse yet, he began driving away members of his own congregation who were trying to help these representatives. Diotrephes' actions violated Yeshua's command to love one another. John felt the need to address the problem and was planning a personal visit. In the meantime, the letter's recipient, Gaius, needed encouragement, and Demetrius needed support in his ministry. This letter was probably sent from Ephesus, where John located his ministry following the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The recipient of the letter was a man named Gaius, from the Greek form of the Latin Caius, meaning I am glad or rejoice, though there were no other records of him. He was most likely a member of one of the assemblies in Asia Minor to which John's influence had spread during this ministry. He seems to have been a trustworthy and prominent person to whom John could have the task of standing firm against the authoritarianism of Diotrephes until John could come and deal with the problem personally. Verse 1 and 2 says, From the elder, John refers to himself as he did in 2 John. This title describes him as an experienced man in the faith. Gaius is a man trusted by God and praised for his continuance in God's Torah. John uses the word, quote-unquote, truth four times in the first four verses. This section seems similar to 2 John, where he voices his joy at hearing that many in the assembly were living the truth of Torah. A noted difference between the two books is that to John, he states that, quote, unquote, some of the assembly were living the truth. That's 2 John, verse 4. In 3 John, verse 4, he simply says, quote, that my children are living in truth, unquote. This would indicate a different assembly. This is further evidenced by the problem that John is about to address in verse 9. The term children may indicate those under John's pastoral care, as reflected in 1 John 2, 1, 12, 18, 28, 3, and 7, 18, 4, 4, and 5, 21. 
To walk in truth, again, means to walk according to God's ways, his instructions, his Torah. Verse 5, you are faithful in all the work you are doing for the brothers, even when they are strangers to you. This reflects the hospitality and faithfulness of God's command to love one another that Gaius demonstrates even to those he doesn't know. And then verse 6, they've testified to your love in front of the congregation. You will be doing well if you send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Now the word they refers to those who are traveling, spreading the gospel of the kingdom. That's God's future governing reign to come, as Yeshua had commissioned them. In Matthew 10, 5 through 15, Yeshua gives specific instructions to his disciples as he sends them out to spread the gospel of the kingdom. And we read, don't go into the territory of the Goyim and don't enter any town in Shomron, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those affected with Tetzrat, expel demons. You have received without paying, so give without asking payment. Don't take money in your belts, no gold, no silver, no copper, and for the trip don't take a pack, an extra shirt, shoes, or a walking stick. A worker should be given what he needs. When you come to a town or village, look for someone trustworthy and stay with them until you leave. When you enter someone's household, say shalom alechem. If the home deserves it, let your shalom rest on it. If it doesn't, let your shalom return to you. But if the people of a house or a town will not welcome you or listen to you, leave it and shake its dust from your feet. Yes, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the people of Saddam and Amora than for that town. Now the word goyim used in this passage refers to unbelievers, Gentiles who had not accepted God's Torah. The remainder of the paragraph, verses 6 through 8, refer back to these instructions in Matthew. John is telling Gaius to continue in his hospitality to those traveling through the area, ministering and teaching the Torah and the gospel of the kingdom. Now the gospel of the kingdom is very different from the gospel of profession taught by Christian clergy. Kingdom implies government. Yeshua as the king in a system of organized commands, statutes, and laws. The gospel of profession simply promotes a belief that all one has to do is profess the name of Jesus and one will be saved. And this is not biblically sound teaching. The word profess means a lot more than a simple statement of belief. Remember, the demons believe and they tremble. What do we do? Simply look up the original Hebrew word used for profession and you'll see what I mean. We obey the command to love one another when we support fellow believers in Torah. This support is to be both publicly and financially. Unfortunately, today many people think that a Torah teacher should not be paid for their work. Yeshua explicitly commands that people support those who teach them, including financially. This is found in Matthew 10.10 and Galatians 6.6 as just two examples in the Torah. This is what John's referring back to in his letter. Let's go to verse 9. I wrote something to the assembly, but Diotrephes, who likes to be a mocker among them, that's like a big shot, doesn't recognize our authority. So if I come, I will bring up everything he's doing, including his spiteful and groundless gossip about us. And as if that weren't enough for him, he refuses to recognize the brother's authority either. Moreover, 
He stopped those who want to do good and tries to drive them out of the congregation. Now, Diotrephes, personal name meaning nurtured by Jove, an individual whose self-serving ambition is cited unfavorably. The word macher used in this verse is Yiddish for big shot, like Gagan's macher. Diotrephes is a perfect example. Not only does he not recognize John's authority, but he uses against him the sin of Lashon Hara, that's gossip, which is spiteful, groundless, and a sin. Check out commandment number nine. Do not give false evidence against your neighbor. He will not submit to the brother's authority. So unless he's stopped, he will turn the congregation into a cult in the modern sense of the term. We have many examples of this today. Everybody wants to be the boss. Many people in positions of authority want to somehow control the amount of knowledge shared with an assembly for fear that others may grow in their knowledge or even surpass the one in the leadership position. And this was the case for years in the Catholic Church. This problem of coveting authority and knowledge is a continuing problem that will not be eradicated until Messiah's return. We also see in this passage the importance of protecting people from those like Diotrephes. A shepherd will not willingly allow the sheep in their fold to be led away by wolves in sheep's clothing. The shepherd watches carefully over the flock at all times. So John is addressing his concerns with Gaius and encouraging him to continue in the truth of Torah and his hospitality to fellow ministers passing through the city until John can address the problem personally. Again, John is acting well within scripture and demonstrates his knowledge of Yeshua's commands and teachings. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, we read, Moreover, if your brother commits a sin against you, go and show him his fault, but privately, just between the two of you. If he doesn't listen, take one or, or two others with you so that every accusation can be supported by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to hear them, tell the congregation. And if he refuses to listen even to the congregation, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, John had already written to Diotrephes without resolution, so his next move would be to address the problem personally. Here is a very different example and character. An officer, a minister in the assembly, less generous. Teachers may sometimes be outshone or outdone. In reference to this man, we see his temper and spirit full of pride and ambition. He loves to have the preeminence. Also, his contempt of the apostles' authority and letter and friends. Of his authority, the deeds which he doeth, contrary to our appointment, prating against us with malicious words. Strange that the contempt should run so high, but ambition will breed malice against those who oppose it. Malice and ill will in the heart will be apt to vent themselves by the lips. The heart and mouth are both to be watched. Verse 11, dear friend, don't imitate the bad, but the good. Those who do what is good are from God. Those who do what is bad are not from God. Here is counsel upon the different character, dissuasion from copying such a pattern, and indeed any evil at all. Evil workers vainly pretend to boast an acquaintance with God. This is validated in John 14, 15, where Yeshua says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. 
There's a sequence of verses in the following chapters of John repeating this theme. And then in John 17, 20, we see an example of the oneness or unity of Yeshua and God. This is a complex unity. It is not a trinity. I pray not only for the, these, but also for those who will trust in me because of their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are united with me and I with you. So once again, the entirety of the chapters 15 through 17 in the book of John speak of the unity of Yeshua and God. Yeshua is God. His name is not Jesus Christ. Nothing seems to aggravate me more sometimes than to hear someone say, oh, I just believe and follow Jesus Christ. Well, his name isn't Jesus. His name isn't Christ. Those are Greek terms. His name is Yahshua, God saves. I would hate somebody to call me Sam Bob or Bill Bob or something else instead of my real name. Do we not owe the Messiah, the one we profess to follow, the respect of calling him by his real name? Verse 12, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, and so does the truth itself. We vouch for him, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, John is telling Gaius that he can trust John's endorsement of Demetrius as his conduct matched to his theology. This is what he means when he says that everyone speaks well of Demetrius. That is, his reputation is respectable before the people. When he says the truth itself speaks good of Demetrius, he's saying that Demetrius lives a Torah-observant life. He is kosher, so to speak, inside and out. Verse 13, I've much to write to you, but I don't want to write with pen and ink. Verse 14, however, I'm hoping to see you very soon, and we will speak face to face. Shalom to you. Your friends send you their greetings. Greet each of our friends by name. These verses give the same impression as to John that there was Roman censors nearby, which precluded John from wanting to write. So in summary, we see that believers today are to support their teachers and missionaries both physically and financially. We are to be discerning, however, as to who we support, as we discuss in 2 John. We're also to be humble. It's important to address each congregate by name as each is found equal in God's eyes. Well, if we put this much emphasis on human names, again, we owe the respect to our Messiah by calling him his real name. Yahshua, God saves. And the apostle who had lain in Yeshua's bosom says Yeshua's friends in his heart. This is the second greatest command that we love one another, it's fellow believers. Matthew 22, 37 through 38. This in no way advocates tolerance and inclusion as they're defined today. If we consider ourselves followers of Yeshua, it then follows that we are called out. We are separated from the ways of the world and apostate religion, which is Christianity, that are in direct contrast to the commands of God and his Torah. According to Christianity, the laws of God have been abrogated when Yeshua was crucified. That is not true. There is nothing that supports that. The entire book, God's Torah, the Bible, is filled with active progressive verbiage. We are not saved until we stand before Yahweh Yeshua and he determines the destination of our souls and our eternity. Please don't be deceived into thinking you have carte blanche as a Christian and that you can eat whatever you want 
that you can ignore God's designated times that are mentioned over and over and over again for all true believers to follow throughout all their generations. These things are not, quote, just for the Jews, unquote. That's a cop-out. Now, values clarification has no place in the gospel of the kingdom. It will one day be God's way or no way. If you have any questions, any comments, any doubts, anything you would like to address with me personally, please go to our website at rabdavis.org. There is a link, Ask the Rabbi. Post your questions or your comments. Any personal concerns that you have that you would like me to address with you, I'm more than happy to address those things from a biblical point of view and uh, provide you with some information, uh, hopefully as Yeshua would, from Messianic Judaism, which he taught his disciples, by the way, and not Christianity. Paul was not converted to Christianity. Yeshua did not become a Christian, and Christianity was not the religion taught to his disciples and others. It was Messianic Judaism, and I have no problem giving you all sorts of biblical proof should you have the initiative to ask me if you have any doubts. Shalom Aleichem.